problem is it boils inside you. And, 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 and there, there is very little you can do about it. Um, mm. You just actually have to learn over the years to try not to say anything. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. This conversation took place a few years ago in the back garden of my mum's house in Bristol on a sunny day. She has especially designed the garden to attract birds and to attract insects, to attract bees, because she cares quite passionately about bees and she likes birds. And so because of that, it's a very noisy environment in terms of background sound. There's lots and lots of birds. It was kind of midday. It was a sunny, sunny day in the summer. In the conversation, I say I was coming up for 30. Now, when I'm recording this intro, I'm coming up for 32. So a couple of summers ago, actually today, it's a very sunny day uh, where I am in London. And this conversation, I guess I've been building up to for quite some time. I've mentioned it in quite a few of the episodes. It's quite an important conversation to me. In it, I realised some things live on, on mic, if you can understand them from my kind of splutterances as I try and formulate my thoughts. I left a lot more of the ums and stuff like that in, actually, because I think they were very significant to what we were saying. Often I take that stuff out because it just slows things down and actually it, it, it makes it harder to understand things. But I think in this conversation it generally makes it easier to understand what's being talked about. We had a kind of pause in the middle of the conversation, which wasn't uh, intended, but it happened. And at that point, I thought I would add in a story that I told live at a stand-up tragedy night. Stand Up Tragedy is a show that I run. I've been doing it in London for a couple of years. I'm taking it up to the Edinburgh Festival from the 3rd to the 14th of August. We'll be doing an hour of tragedy every day. We're going to have a daily podcast featuring a different tragic performance and some kind of conversations and interview stuff around the idea of tragedy every single day of the Edinburgh Festival. So that's what that's all about. But this was recorded live at a stand-up tragedy night. It was a story that I wrote after I had this conversation, very inspired, as you'll see, by the conversation. It was also inspired by a visit that I had to my gran with my mum that we actually had literally after this conversation. So once this conversation is over, you have to imagine me and my mum getting in a car, driving to see my gran in a nursing home. Sorry this has been a very long introduction. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm glad I had it. I, I think apology is a difficult one because over time I've come to uh, look at apology as being something uh, that you're saying sorry and saying you won't do it again. But there's an element that when you've got this awful bad temper, you know you will. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we are getting 
better acquainted uh, again <laughs> with my mum. Hello, mum. Hello. So to just quickly go over the the usual questions, my mum obviously met me when I was born, and at the moment, my mum is a retired person, but also an artist, and has previously had a career that has been pretty much covered in the first of the conversations. So if you wanted to find out about that, go back to the first conversation that mum has had for this podcast. Um, okay, so for this, uh, this third conversation, I kind of wanted to talk about kind of generations, I guess. Right. Because obviously I'm your son and you're my mother so I'm the next generation on from you and a lot of what this motivation for this for my podcast series has been about has been I guess as I'm approaching 30 I'm re-evaluating my life and I'm re-evaluating myself and uh, I guess I wanted to make a piece of art about that so that's that's what this series is it's about evaluating myself talking to people I know about themselves and learning from those different experiences so I can I guess improve myself and come to have a better control of tendencies that I have in myself Mm. so I have a real problem with rage I get very angry and I can be very irrational when I get angry. And I've tried to manage this since my teenage years. I didn't have it as a child, I don't think. I don't know, you'll be able to speak to that a bit more. But but having kind of coming to deal with these things, it's has striked me it strikes me that that these flaws that I have or things that I need to deal with that they're things that you have and they're possibly even things that your that your mum had and that that it's a a, a, this cycle that seems like a cliche is also probably true um and so I guess I sort of wanted to to talk to you about that really um I mean Growing up, a lot of my, a lot of, a lot of my issues, a lot of my childhood issues, are probably to do with um, the the rage that you have, I guess, that that mm. that, that Im- impacted into some of my childhood occasionally, um, and I guess I've having being an adult and experiencing that rage, I, I have a kind of new st- sympathy with you. <laughs> in those situations um, and I certainly would never say you know that I had a I didn't have a bad childhood certainly I don't think any of us did but we had complicated childhoods and I think we've got a complicated family would you say yeah <laughs> um, and you had a complicated childhood would you say I, I think it was complicated for me, but I'm not sure it was complicated I, as such. My my childhood really was, uh, as I said in an earlier um, talk, um, 
quite surprising because it was 14 months between me and my sister, so I was the youngest. And <clears throat> I remember uh, being very lonely, and, I, 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 and that seemed an extraordinary thing to be. Uh, but kind of like in the light of retrospect, and what one of my aunts has told me, as I was put to bed quite early, about six o'clock in the evening, and I've never been a great one for, for long sleeps at night, so I would imagine that even then I might well have stayed awake until midnight. Mm. So if you take that in its kind of context, I might have been six hours on my own, in my old own world, telling myself stories, which is why this kind of idea that I was lonely came about. Mm -hmm. And I suppose, rightly or wrongly, I, I kind of like sort of said, I won't do that with my children if they're, they're sleepless and you all have been. Yeah, I was insomniac. Um, I, I would at least give you some meaningful things to do during those periods of time. Obviously, trying to get you to bed. Yeah. At a reasonable time, but not having times when you actually were on your own and, and actually, really, as a very young child, it's quite lonely. Mm. Um, so I wasn't a lonely child. I had a, an older sister, but we seemed to spend our time kind of arguing and having. She was very different from me. And, yes. And and obviously, being older was more dominant than than I. Um, so, uh, but as we sort of grew up, we had uh, childhood friends on the um, estate nearby, um, and we went to school. As I say, I don't remember much about the young... I remember playing in the garden. The garden's always been very important to me. I remember playing in the garden, knowing plants, the fact we had chickens, that he laid eggs, that was a sort of post-war thing. I remember uh, rationing, so we didn't have sweets. Yeah. Uh, and I remember when bananas first came, and I didn't like them. Yeah. Um, we didn't have fresh oranges. We would have had the government orange juice, which is a kind of like sort of bottled, sweetened-ish version of of, of orange. Um, but generally speaking, because of rationing, we were probably healthier. Um, then of course we went to school and at school I only really remember sort of the threat of having the ruler around my leg if I did anything wrong so I think and it you, was a very... And you went to a boarding school as well didn't you? No, not, imme not in immediately, that, okay. that was the, the state school along the road and I, I remember that, that Margaret uh, took me to school on her own and looking back in that, that's somewhat surprising uh, why we weren't but I suppose we went to school at five and my sister was six yeah but she used to cross the road with me uh, but there probably wasn't as much traffic yeah but you know we we kind of like were a bit more independent we didn't certainly have clothes like they do now I would have had a, um, a plaid and plaid skirt and a, a, a blouse we certainly wouldn't have clean clothes every day and then we had weekend clothes which were a bit more a bit nicer and, and this was I mean you were a relatively affluent family I mean you, yes. your dad was a doctor you, yes 
and it's quite quite it's that that side of the family is quite kind of almost upper class wouldn't you say his yeah. his 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 side his side so so yes so but but we didn't waste and mum's working class background if i might say that she wouldn't like the thought of it made her very um frugal in many ways and, and very ecological she used to reuse everything re yeah. do everything and uh, my sister and i are sort of blessed with this inability to throw anything away because yeah. we always know it could be reused in some way and we have these awful dilemmas of how we use stuff rather than throw it away. Well, At least I do. I mean, that's the interesting thing about Gran. I mean, it's interesting today as well because we're going to see her after we've done yeah. this conversation. Yeah. Um, but, but she was a working-class woman from Yorkshire uh, who married a man who was uh, from a... Um, I guess they were upper involved class, upper really. class from the India in the Raj and stuff like that. Mm. And he was a, he was a doctor, and I mean, as you've mentioned in a previous conversation, he socialist and uh, yes, very unusual. Banned the bomb, C and D, one of the one early members. Family. So he wasn't uh, he wasn't the, uh, the the he wasn't the average upper class person, mm. but he was was upper class. And she married into that, and she. She embraced that, didn't she? I mean, she oh, yes. when 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 she speaks, only a few of her words give her origins away, but when they do, they do give it away. Yes. And she, but she's worked hard to 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 be a different class. Yes, and I remember this. I think I remember this starting when she started. What I said, said was putting on her telephone voice. Right. And I think. I may have heard the Yorkshire in her voice when I was younger. Okay. Because it seems quite familiar. But I can't remember when she actually changed, but I think she did change her voice. And, I mean, and it's strange. I remember when we went to see her in her house before she was, because she's in a home now, but mm. before she was in the home, we, we got her talking about when she was a nurse in the war yeah. in London. Uh, was it London? Where was she? Maybe no, it wasn't London. No, she would have been in um, Leeds. In Leeds, wow. Of, yeah, of course. Pinderfields. And she came alive when she was talking about that. Oh, yeah. Didn't you th- did you feel that too? I mean, she, yeah. she seemed alive in a way I'd never known her any time I've ever met her in my life. Admittedly, I've only met her generally as a child meeting a, a grandparent. Um, but she seemed to come alive and be excited in a way that I'd not seen her be. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. I think um, she looks back on that time um, very frequently now. And I think it's significant because that was when she was free. She was actually in charge of her own existence. She was, a, in modern terms, she was the closest that you could be at that time to an independent woman. Um, but when you were growing up with her um did you find i mean you you your mother has bequeathed you legacies would you um and what was what was it what was your relationship with your with your parents well, like that I, 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 think, I think it's very interesting because i mean I, I didn't really kind of i mean i had this sort of um strange thing i used to dream that my mother was a witch because she had um green eyes 
but I think that was just a sort of dreamlike thing. But I think she was quite a distant character for me. Um, retrospectively, I mean, I realised that she actually had a nanny looking after us when we were younger. I mean, she did breastfeed us both. Um, but there was always a nanny there to do, do all sorts of things. And as I say, at the, the, those times, you did go to bed at six o'clock. Yeah. So religiously, I would have been put to bed. And presumably, the old adage of, you know, crying until you went to sleep. That's what you would have done. That, that's what would have been done. And that was the way children were, were brought up, brought up in, those, in days. those days. Um So the, there was a sort of distance uh, that was strange that I remember um, and my father didn't talk a lot no and the interesting thing is retrospectively I realised that neither parents read stories to me in bed okay interesting and that is it's quite an interesting thing for a, for a child who, who had difficulty with reading and writing well yeah how are you going to improve if you don't um, get exposed but to of course as you said earlier at the age of eight I went to boarding school yeah and that was during the pe- period of time when we had to l- had to learn our spellings and had to um, learn our times tables. Yeah. And so we had prep uh, homework time every after supper for half an hour. We had to learn our whatever it was, whether it was spellings or tables. And then at the end of our half hour, we were tested by either a mamzelle or a fraulein. Uh, to see if we knew what we've been learning. Right. That was rote learning, uh, all based on memory, which I've never had much of. Did it work? Well, I never could get out of prep. Well, that's the same thing. See, this is really interesting, talking about generations, because I didn't go to a boarding school. I didn't have, I don't think, as distant and as complicated a school life uh, in my primary school. Mm. All, all of my terrible kind of... All of my tra- all my school traumas come from my secondary school, mm. but 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 apart from, I'm not very good at spelling mm. because my primary school teacher kept me in every break time and mm. lunch time to make me learn spelling because she thought I wasn't good at it, and I don't respond very well to that either. So I was always in at break times mm. learning spelling. Well, so but I and think it's the same sort of I think my way of learning doesn't that doesn't work. And but it's I the think same it stopped you, me becoming. Uh, a spelling dyslexic. My spelling is very good because when you think about it, all those years of actually just just rote learning, probably the the schools of dyslexia would probably say that actually was quite good for my spelling. And it certainly worked because by, 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 by about the age of 15, I could spell reasonably. So it did work for you though? It did work. Yeah, it didn't but, work for but me. But it didn't emotionally sit very well. But then I only had it for a year, so maybe maybe that's why it didn't work in the long term for me. But yeah. Um, but but so so there was that, and then of course I, I uh, again I was learning the piano at that stage, so I would have half an hour piano practice. So my daily routine was very 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 regimented from a very young age, uh, even down to shining my shoes so that they'd be checked to see if they were shiny enough to go to school in the morning. So this for a scruffy, um, untidy, um, naturally disorganised child that I was, uh, was an extraordinary life. Yeah, I can see that. But it it made me into a very hard-working person. Because 
from a very young age, I was always working twice as hard to achieve the same level, if not a bit lower level, that most of my peers achieved with less hard work. Did you? So I was always having to actually, and, and I suppose that's gone through the whole of my life, yeah. that I've actually had to spend twice as long working as other people in order to achieve a level that was acceptable. So hard work was never a problem. And did you, I mean, so that you had, so the, your parents were distant from you to a certain extent. Yeah. Your school was distant from you. Did you feel much kind of love from adults as a child? Was there that kind of sense that you were loved? Well, I don't know that there was. Um, I think, I think certainly Auntie Marjorie and, and Auntie, Auntie Sheila, you know, my, the family's godparents, when they came to, they seemed to bring a different element into my life and they, and, and they would try and talk to me when I was in bed and, you know, things like that. Yeah. Which was a very different element that I just wasn't used to. And I suppose we had, um, we always had lodgers. We always had people in the flat, and they always had a very different kind of approach to life. Like we had one one guy who used to do magic tricks, and that I used to think was absolutely marvellous. You know, the magic, you know, an adult doing magic tricks. And I suppose we used to talk and 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 spend time with the people in flats who seemed to be sort of more inclined to chat and find out. About but not it. from your actual parents. I don't really remember my parents being that. And they weren't very dem- they, they weren't demonstrative of love, Absolutely were they? Absolutely not. No, no. I mean, it, I mean, it was always very difficult to kiss my father goodnight because he always went the wrong way, and you never knew, knew where they were, and you ended up kissing him in, in, inappropriately, like his ear or his nose. And you, you know, you just think, it's a very strange kind of. Um, I think my mum probably. Did, she always seemed to. I mean, I remember having a comfortable lap, so I mean, we would have sat on her knee. So there would have been a certain amount of cuddling. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad that that's the but case. But it, 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 there's not a lot of it, really. But expressing love is a hard... Would you say it's a hard thing for you as, a, as a, an adult in some ways? I'm not saying that you haven't done it. I certainly have... I feel that you have, you, you love me, but... It, I, th- I, th- I think it was something that wasn't done. Yeah. And so it wasn't modelled for you, and, and so it's and, hard and, for and you there, to... And therefore... Um, I mean, when I was when I went to France first, and you know, they used to sort of be much more demonstrative. I loved that way of life. I, I liked the kissing on both cheeks and 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 and, and, and the physicality yeah. of, of, of the, the the kind of society that they had, and that that was a nice release because I suppose it was the first time I've ever really seen that kind of side of adults, as you say. Um, but, um, yeah, it just kind of wasn't done. Yeah. And certainly not in my, my kind of family. And do you think, I mean, do you think, like, do you think that Gran had the kind of rage that I think that me and you and uh, oh, so. have? In fact, I remember thinking, now it's interesting you say that you don't think you had it as a child, and I think that's right. Because I don't think I had rage as a child. It sort of hits when it's hormones, doesn't it? I think, I think I think it does hit when yeah. it's hormones, but I didn't realise it 
so strong because I think that during my teenage years I had to hide most of my personality which sounds a strange thing to say so even more I had to go underground because my sister bless her had such an extraordinarily difficult teenage. she had a troubled time and so you with her always her. being doing awful things happening to her mm. and ha- you know there, there wasn't time for me Really. And you were quite close in age, weren't you? So I, I, I was yeah. even more in the background yeah. because whenever anything went wrong with Margaret, obviously everybody's attention was on, on what can we do about Margaret? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so my kind of role, and also I wasn't as good on the piano when I was sent downstairs to practice. Margaret was allowed to play upstairs on the grand piano and I had to go downstairs. So there was a sort of, oh, you know, you're not as good as your sister. Yeah. Get out the way. Yeah. And Margaret was brighter at school. She was better at piano. Mm. She was better at singing. There was nothing she wasn't better at than me. Yeah. Uh, she was good at spelling. She, you know, she she had all the attributes but I then didn't have. Would you think that part of the the way you feel about this though is, I mean, that's that was your that was your parents' responsibility to not instill that kind of it's natural for siblings to have rivalry but isn't there an element where you know if you hadn't been told that your that margaret was a better piano player and she hadn't have been brought up upstairs and if time had been taken to give you time even when margaret was oh. having a tough time then those kind of things would have been alleviated i mean I've, i think you know with me and my siblings we're lucky that in a way that there's six years between us we've never really had that kind of close um competitivism mm. although i mean there is an element so you used oh, well you I used to say to me that i was a lovely child until I was three, and then I was terrible. No, I, I, Tony I, I think you misheard was, that. Right, right. I think you misheard that. Am I? I, I mean, the I can story went possible. as I right. told it. Okay, go on. Was that I was very lucky that I had three very different children. Yes. And because you taught me different things about different children. And so the story was that Tony, and, and indeed he did, cried nonstop, almost from the day he was born until about nine months. Poor laddie had colic and he, yeah. he was induced prematurely and there were all sorts of reasons for it. But anyway, and then of course, at the age of three, he had this awful accident, slightly um, fracturing his skull, mm-hmm. when he became very, didn't want to leave the home. Yes. And became very clean. All understandable things. So actually he, he was, and then of course we discovered he was deaf. Yeah. As soon as he went to school at the age of four, uh, and then he had grommets and operations and things like that. So, it, 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 the whole kind of story was, you know, he was kind of difficult. Yeah, many, very many difficult ways, child. Yeah, which I think was actually very good for me as a parent because by the time I came to my next child, I was ready for anything. But here was the sunny child. Yeah. Who was absolutely grinning at everybody from the from the moment you were born? In fact, I mean, from from the day you were born, yeah, you you, you glued your eyes on me, and and you were looking around at the world, yeah, and not even interested in eating, <laughs> nothing. You know, <laughs> you have you to just sort of thought, that a bit now. Wow, yeah. this is the world. So you hit the world as a sort of perfect child who who was sort of really sunny and everything like that and at the age of three 
quite understandably, you, you've got a temper, temper tantrum. Yeah. I mean, so I'm, maybe I did have rage as a child. But maybe, I mean... But no... But everyone, all kids have temper tantrums, because I know that. Yeah. I mean, usually they start at two, but I mean, I you know, started I, at three. Well, so I work with kids you, that age now, so I know, yeah, yeah you're right. So, I mean, you age, know, it's just a thing. And, and it was kind of a surprise, you know. Yeah. Okay. But it wasn't really until your teenage, which I think, except mine was a delayed teen. Mm-hmm. It wasn't till I actually started nursing yeah. that the rage hit me. And it was interesting because I talked to some of mum's relatives. Because I, I say, don't talk to me. I've never talked to my mother about anything really. Because whenever I have, I've always been beaten down completely <laughs> or ignored or told not to say anything. Um, so I remember talking to one of my aunts and, and, and saying, you know, it, my temper was such, so much of a problem. And she said, oh dear. And I looked at her. And she said, oh, it's the ward temper. We've all got it. She says, it, 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 it is awful. Mm. Uh, uh, it's a horrible thing. I, I have it because, myself and it's because, so horrible. Because the problem is it boils inside you. And, 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 and there, there is very little you can do about it. Um, mm. You just actually have to learn over the years to try not to say anything. Uh, but it's very difficult because when you do that, I've got to be on my own bit. People don't respond very well to that. And people don't understand. It's because you're actually raging so much, you actually really can't be near anybody. You've actually got to, to walk away and, and, and kind of lose yourself. See, I've got to learn to walk away because I don't even walk away. Well, well, I can't even leave it. Well, I couldn't as a young person. Mm. And, 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 and It needs to but, be sorted out then. It needs but, to be played through to, the, to a point where I can intellectually yeah, understand it. Yeah, well, and, and I think that that's, that's what happens when you're younger. I mean, as, as I've got older, right, I've kind of like thought, actually, you've got to walk away. It's no good putting yourself through this. Because it doesn't lead to you understanding yourself anymore, except you understand you've got an awful temper. Mm-hmm. And it, that's not really doing anything for your ego. No. <laughs> it's so to know that you, above all people, sort of behave really badly at certain times. Well, actually, you've kind of like got to move through that and say, actually, I've got to reevaluate my. Myself mm. as a person who who isn't dreadful with only thinking of myself as a negatively negatively That's the, and, yeah. and I think it feeds that, into it because it's just the the fact that you're angry is because you're feeling insecure yes and 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 so the more you feel in, insecure about the fact that you get angry the angrier you get yeah I mean I I totally understand that and my my journey I guess or my my what I try to do as I'm getting older is to deal with the insecurity and as I deal with the insecurity more and more the the rage can be controlled better um and I also think it's important to be aware of the rage to apologize about it too but then that can be very frustrating because I think it can be very frustrating to be self-aware and still do it you know I always feel very sorry for Jen you know that I get very angry and then afterwards I can eloquently just explain why and apologize but it's like well you can do it afterward why can't you not get angry at the time you well, know? well it, 
And it's not. And I'm just like, I don't get angry with Jen. I get angry with the world around. Yeah, exactly. I I think apology is a difficult one because over time I've come to uh, look at apology as being something uh, that you're saying sorry and saying you won't do it again. But there's an element that when you've got this awful bad temper, you know you will. Mm. And and you actually, when you apologise, I'm not quite sure it's the thing to do. Because you know you'll do it again. Yeah. How, however much you, you, you learn to look at all the issues around it, there will always be the odd time when someone will get under your skin mm. and break you down in a way that is, and I see what Rosie says about this, is childish. Because it is an almost childish reaction that you have to certain things. Mm. But actually, um, that isn't ever going to go away. Yeah. And and, and I suppose you... you I don't know. I, I, I find myself getting very sort of quiet about it. Because there is this modern thing you have to apologise, but I'm not sh- quite sure where, where I go with that. Because yeah. I ca- certainly can't ever say I won't do it again. I tell you what. You can say I, I didn't want to do it. And, 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 uh, I think it's important. And I know I do it. And I think I, sometimes I know why I do it. It's it, 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 it's the whole total p- picture of saying um, there's part of me that has to live with the fact that I do it. But I think some one of the things that people might want from us, and I've, I've, having been on both sides of this, I think what I've come to realise is that what we do is we don't just we don't just say sorry for the specific thing we did. We then we blow it up. So mm. we we end up apologising for, for the world and for ourselves being to blame for everything in the world, which is not true. Yeah. So that annoys people because then oh, it doesn't course. because then it doesn't feel like a real apology because it's so preposterous. It's it's not actually taking responsibility for the individual thing we did wrong. We, we've blown it up so much, and I, and I understand that. I I know we do that. I I know what I do that. But I mean, I, I, I've also been the person thinking, no, I just want you to apologise for this one specific thing. Fuck the rest of the world. Not interested in that. Uh, not you know. But 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 I guess one of the things. One of the things I guess I'm trying to. Trying to. Work out and realise is that yeah. Well yeah, I mean, just saying that then makes me understand, a lot of why specific things haven't been apologised for and why why yeah I mean I guess I'm learning right now right this minute about why those things are which is throwing me a little bit um yeah I mean I I think it's very difficult I mean I think when I was your age I probably would have apologised all the time (laughs) yeah I do apologise too much Um, it annoys me but after a bit you kind of think where's it going because it just gets you somewhere down into this negativity about yourself that I really can't make it no, happen. No, true, no. I really and, and all these awful cycles, you, 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 you're suddenly in this downward cycle yeah. 
of spiralling and you're thinking, actually, do I need to be here? Am I not? I mean, it's good that you punish yourself yeah. in a way. Yeah. But actually, you're sort of making yourself incapable of, of handling life adequately, which you can do. And I, well, I've yeah. certainly been in those positions where I have done. No, you can't do that. You, you, you've actually got to main, maintain yourself of reality. And you've actually, somewhere along the line, you've got to think, well, actually, I've got this horrible character. Do you have the click? I have this thing where I get very angry, and then I... I because of life, because life gets in the way, I can't play out that anger. Mm. And say, some friends come around for dinner, or uh, I've got to go out. Mm. And as soon as I'm in a completely different environment, mm. it goes away completely, mm. and it clicks away. And I, I, you know, later on, then I can process everything. But at that, at that time, it just it just drops completely away because I've got out of that. Yeah. That situation. And, and it's that that you want to create. And the trouble is with the apology and the, all the scenario is you actually d create the opposite. But the problem is when but, you're angry, but, but you're I blaming the I, other person. And after you've stopped being angry, you realise that that person wasn't who you were angry with. Yes. And, and, and that's the problem. If you can only work out at the time that, the, that it's you that's the problem and then step out, then you can get the yeah. click. Yeah. But I find it so hard to realise at the time that it's me but, that's the but, problem. But, but that has been my lifetime ambition and trying to do that. Mm. And I do that sometimes. I'm not very successful with family members because you know very well that family members know all the buttons to oh press God. to make me cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, 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 and you know all their buttons as exactly, well. Exactly, exactly. And, 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 and therefore... You have to work twice as hard in family situations. Well, I've always been sort of strange in family situations. I think I've always acted as a catalyst for catastrophes, mm. right? But I have always been trying to kind of mediate. I guess it's being a middle child and mm. something about mm. my personality. I've always, well. well, yeah, but maybe it's being Seeing a both sides of maybe the it's story. being a Libran, yeah, but. <laughs> It, it's 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 it, within the it's within the realms of I don't, I don't know I don't really believe in this horoscope stuff but but fair enough other people do and I respect their beliefs um, well I try to respect their beliefs um, but yeah I've always tried to make everybody get on and try to sort of solve our problems with I'm doing inverted commas with mm. my fingers uh, and that's not that doesn't work no. uh, and that makes things worse no. and I've always because I've always got on with each individual member of the family separately mm. I've always thought well why can't we all get on together but I think when I'm not there people get on fine it's just that I'm that when well, I'm there it messes no, things no, up no I don't think that's true either I, but I think what it is is is, is that, that there are times when we all fall into our childhood patterns. I mean, I know what I kind of did, and, and I know that my sister was kind of like told to do it mm. by a psychiatrist at one stage in her life, is I actually stopped seeing my mother for a long time. Mm -hmm. And only went back to see her. And I, I kind of like sort of look at it with, with a great deal of sadness. Should I encourage that with my children? Because maybe there are times when you actually have to be without that family kind of input 
to to actually find yourself. Well, I think. Uh, and and but at the same time, I mean, I don't want to say that because I don't want to lose my children. But I kind of think, well, you know, if I've lost my children, I lost them years ago. Well, you have, and and it's kind of done anyway. Well, and 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 you sort of think, well, so, so therefore, I mean, the interesting thing is, is that I can now go and see my mother. I mean, she still hurts me. Yeah. Uh, and and pulls certain buttons that I just don't want pulled. But now I can kind of... I mean, she has mellowed a bit, and I can kind of see her in a different light. But, I mean, I mean, you haven't lost me. You're not going to lose me. But I think that there is something to what you're saying, in that I remember when I was a... When I was a teenager growing up, the, pretty much the day that I said to myself, I don't know, maybe I said it to you, I don't know, I hate my mother... Mm was the day I stopped hating you. It's a weird thing. It's like the moment that you kind of admit this thing is the day that you stop actually feeling it. And, 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 and as I've grown up, I've, I've, I think, you know, I don't hate you at all. I don't have any... Um, look, there are times that I wish we hadn't had. There, oh, and yeah. you do too. Well, and there are, there are times that I wish that you hadn't said something to me that's, hmm. that's had a... Un, and the thing is, when you hear things when you're a child, as you know yourself, mm. these things that aren't me- necessarily even meant in a bad way, like you say that that thing with me and Tony, mm. they 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 get in, they burrow in, and they become things that just repeat. Mm. And I I, I I would like that we didn't have those things, mm. but I am, you know. I'm aware that there have always been reasons for all of these things and that you have always been a human being struggling to... And you've brought up, you know, all your children have been brought up uh, well with a lot of benefits as well as uh, as well as well complications. We've got a lot of benefits. And, I, and I, I think I said to you relatively recently, on the whole, I think my upbringing has had a positive effect on my life. But an interesting thing I was going to ask you is... What do you think about genetics versus na- nature versus nurture, genetics versus upbringing? Because we we share the same we, the sh- we share the same personal personality traits, uh, and and like you say, your mum does, and I can see genetic things in my dad, and I never know if it's to do with the fact that you gave me these things, positive and negative, when I was a kid, or if I inherited these things. I mean, uh, well, I I think I think. That, that it is it is a mixture. I mean, some people yeah. don't believe that. No, I, think, I, it's I think it's a mixture. But the problem is, I think when you've got something like a, a temper thing, and I would imagine that's to do with kind of chemicals. Yeah, probably. Because the way it, rage hits me is extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, I literally boil inside. I know. And I can't explain <laughs> the physical reaction, you know, the screwing up of your stomach and the... Uh, 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 and it's something you just don't want to have. Yeah. And you don't want to be there. And it's self-destructive as well. Like, I remember smashing my entire room up when oh, I was a kid. Yeah, it's yeah. completely and, stupid. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a terrible thing. So I think that I think there's a there's this genetic and and connected to that a chemical thing. Um, but I think sadly, because it's such a strong thing, um, you know, obviously in terms of environment, 
Yeah. It's going to affect you as well. That's right, because I experienced your rage and I inherited your rage yeah. and you had the same thing from your mum. Yeah. And if I had kids, that might be And you be always the promise case. you're not going to do it. I've got a horrible thing. That the food is ready. Okay. Yeah, maybe we'll finish this off afterwards. Maybe we won't, but it's certainly been very... Uh, good conversation so far. I've found it very interesting. Hopefully, it'll be interesting <laughs> to other people. We usually have a true storyteller to tell you some tragic events from their real lives. And uh, tonight, that storyteller is going to be me. Well, it's not from my. Mind you, it's not from my real life. So, well, it is my. Well, you'll see. <laughs> it is from my real life. So this is called "Say It With Flowers." The understanding that I have of my grandparents' lives is fake. It comes to me in Chinese whispers from biased observers. It sloshes around in my imagination until it seems to make some narrative sense. My gran grew up in a small village in Yorkshire. She would uh, milk the family cow every day before she walked 10 miles to school on her own. Everything was in black and white back then. Everything was bought to last. Life was frugal and you grew into your shoes. My granddad grew up in India, a child of the Raj. His family rode on the backs of elephants. They shouted demeaning things at the natives and then laughed heartily, twirling their waxed moustaches. <laughs> now, that's the plastic flower version of the story. Brightly coloured, unreal vaguely comical. A plastic flower looks like a real flower from a distance. But what do I actually know about them? Graham was born into a working class Yorkshire family and she'd hate it if she knew that I told you that, so <laughs> She married a man from a different class and she rewrote herself into the role of a respectable lady. And Grandad, he was born into a posh white family in India. And he was sent to England as a child when he contracted tuberculosis. For most of his life, he was a doctor, and he was a conscientious objector in both wars. When they met, there were fireworks, or maybe air raid sirens. <laughs> the Second World War was happening all around them. She was a nurse, and he was a doctor. She was thrilled to meet a man descended from the aristocracy, a professional in a white coat, no less. He spoke properly. She liked that. Sure, he was a socialist, but that's politics. That's men's talk. She had no interest in any of that nonsense. She should have taken an interest in that nonsense, though. Later, she would have to shoo hippies out of her dining room and into the less civilised areas of the house when her husband invited them round for those dratted CND meetings. You can say what you like about bombs or banning them, but she didn't want boys with scruffy hair and dirty feet in the house. That nonsense was the fatal flaw in her plan. She would never find true class because Grandad refused to become a private consultant. He remained committed to the National Health Service and she felt that that commitment held them back. I now see Gran as someone stumbling through life in her own way. Same as me, same as my mum, same as everyone I know. I'm not saying she's a nice person. Every old and frail person has probably hurt people in their lives. But I see her as someone who's had a life, and that has to be respected. I never had that with Grandad. He used to play chess with us. He always won. He didn't really speak. He looked wooden, 
like his chest set, worn and tall and thin. I always saw him as an ent, wise, not too hasty. When he died, I was given this wooden elephant. It came from the Raj. I love this elephant. Its tusks are wonky. The chairs in their house were uncomfortable. Everything looked like the Queen might have bought it. There were all sorts of rules about which bit of cutlery you used first. All the adults were tense for reasons that you couldn't understand. Children were to be tolerated and silent. On the tables were bowls of things that looked like Bombay mix, but turned out to be something called potpourri. The taste of dried flowers in my mouth and a stifling silence all around me. Everything smelling unnatural. That's how I remember it. This strict woman terrorised my mother, passing the terrors down the line, the terrors that my mum passed to me. I'd heard the stories and I could see it in her eyes. Gran was a pantomime villain. And she isn't anymore. Now she's an old lady living in an old house full of old people in the countryside just outside Bath. She has her tea and cake every day at 3pm. She regularly lunches with a lady. They wear Easter bonnets at Easter. They get their children to tend their gardens and they have staff to look after them. In a way, she's finally made it to where she wanted to be. But she gets angry with the deer and the rabbits. They eat her flowers. They don't know that humans find them decorative. They just know they're tasty. At her 80th birthday, my gran had a few drinks. She, someone gave her the knife to cut the cake and with a mischievous gleam in her eye she suggested that she might as well end it all now. The assembled family, holding their cameras and their toddlers in their hands, stared in horror as she swung the knife back and forth in front of her chest. My mum and I once sat with her drinking sherry from dusty glasses. She told us about her life during the wartime. She'd been a nurse in blitz-addled London. And when she talked of it, she seemed younger. I suddenly saw the girl from a small village who'd gone to a city being bombed and found excitement, freedom, and something that sounded like independence. I was shocked to hear such feeling in her voice, surprised that she was nostalgic for a time of war. It remained bright and light in her memory. It struck me then that I might have liked that woman that she'd been for those few months before she'd met my granddad before she put the mask on. When she moved into the house, the home, she finally became a completely real person to me. I'd love to get into all of this with her, adult to adult, hear the whole story from her mouth and find out what she really thinks about class, about freedom, about being a mother, about being a nurse in the wartime, about marrying granddad. I want to hear this story without the embellishments, but I don't know how to ask. So instead, when I'm around, which is rarely, I go to visit her with my mum. The last time we went, my mum stopped at a shop on the way and suggested I buy her flowers. Gran loves flowers. She has them all around her room beside carefully placed bric-a-brac. She arranges everything just so, and she still models herself on the Queen. I went to her old house in Limpley Stoke with my mum to stick post-it notes on things I might want. I didn't want much, but I wanted something. The bits of property that I salvaged from that house are ways to try and understand the lives of the people whose genes are inside me. Understanding who they are might help me understand who I am. I stuck day-glow bits of paper on a few strange-looking bits of furniture and the old...
tool belt. <laughs> That's, uh, that was to distract everybody while I found my place, but it didn't work. The old school bell that my gran had used to call my mum and her sister down for dinner when they were children. In some ways, this bell was an instrument of torture, which I think we can all understand why, why it was after that. My ear's going to be ringing for a little while. It felt nice to be useful to my mum, the sort of thing that proper sons do. Visiting Gran in the old people's home is the same sort of thing, a taste of being a good grandson. The last time we visited, she took us out to her gardens, and as we stood looking down at the flower beds, Mum mentioned how she put sticks down to try and stop the animals. Gran sighed. Those creatures are determined. They think the flowers are veggie tubbles. She's always had a fake voice. She puts all the stresses in all the wrong places. Don't tell anyone, will you, dear? But I use fake ones. On top of her ruined flowers, Gran puts plastic flower heads. I smile at her. Don't worry, Gran. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> Thanks. Very much. There we go. It's also a good way of not getting rung off uh, when I went over time. Well, I think I can, yeah, I think I can pretty much remember where we, where we left off. We, um, we're talking about genetics and, uh, well, how much was genetic and how much was nature, nurture, yeah. how much was genetics and how much was nurture um, and upbringing. And I, I guess we, we come to the conclusion, both of us, that it's probably a, a lot of both. Yeah. Um, but more is genetic than I thought. When I was a kid, I just thought everything was, I thought everything was upbringing. I thought everything was upbringing, and now I think so much is genetics. Yeah, I think I, th I think there's been a swing in, in what people think because I know when I was doing my social work training, I mean it was definitely sort of uh, you could overcome genetics by doing, uh, you know, by upbringing and, and examples and things like that. But I think nowadays, I think there's a, a lot more emphasis given on the behaviourism and actually sort of changing behaviours um, rather than sort of the general environment helping. So actually doing the positive things to help the, the genetics, if you like. Absolutely. I think it's definitely a... I think it... Well, I think that the thing is, it, in a way, to me, it doesn't matter if it's genetics or it's upbringing, because you need to manage it mm. regardless. Which is where the behaviourist approach happens, you know. So, you know, whatever, which way, you know, what's the management for? Well, absolutely. I mean... And, and sadly, I didn't have that message early in life. No, well, I think it's, it's, a, <clears throat> it's a... I think it's, it's, a, it's always something that... Managing this stuff as well is something that you never can stop doing. There's always... It always comes up in a new way, or it comes in. A, That's it, right. This is the thing, and so, yeah. and I think that there, <clears throat> and with with this rage thing that we've got, I think there's also some quite kind of bleak kind of down times as well. I, I certainly have had some very uh, bleak moments, and I, I know that you have had those kind of moments too. Well, I I, I always think my personality is very very close. Uh, to someone with uh, bipolar disorder, 
Right. But I've never been close enough. But I've certainly seen dips and troughs in terms of my emotional well-being. I'm either as high as a kite or, or very low. Yeah. Uh, if so it's on the spectrum, yeah, then I guess we're on, on the a very spectrum, far end of the spectrum. I mean, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm not bipolar, but I, a lot of my behaviour uh, fits that kind of personality. Um, so I, th- I think that didn't help at all either, really. Well, no. Because well, when you're very low, you're very low, and if, you, you know, you really... Uh, you're not really able to cope awfully well with the the ordinary um, doings of life no. at, the, at the best of times yeah. and then of course when things don't go your way oh that's when the rage comes out I think do you know what I mean like well, it's, I think when it's, you're it's, feeling it's, down it's, already it's, it's the last resort that you've got yeah and then and when you come round from it you think well actually no that was the worst thing that I could have done in the circumstances well, I think that's because then you actually feel more depressed and your depression actually goes lower, and your self-esteem is lower than your boots, really, because you, you just think, well, actually, no, I did the wrong thing about it. Well, I think that's the thing. When you say it's the last thing you've got, I think it's... Because I've sort of come to, 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 to suspect that what it is is some kind of problem with fight or flight. Yes. That, you know, you just panic and you just, ah, and everything comes out and it's not rational. It yeah. is kind of instinctual. Yeah. And that's a problem because it's very hard to, it's easier to deal with rational mistakes than it is to deal with instinctual mistakes. I think. Yeah. And, and, and the, ra- yeah, the rational side of life is kind of easy. And that's why you... In a funny kind of way, you know, when I'm dealing with another pe- person's uh, sort of situation in different families, you you can actually sort of um, go in and analyse in a different kind of way. Yeah, you're objective. Way. You're objective. I've always been relatively good at helping my friends with problems, but I've never really been very good at helping whereas, myself. Yeah. Whereas with your own family, yeah, you've got all this rubbish that interrupts you and, and, and you never believe that that's actually going to happen at least I never believed I mean I always believed that you could actually overcome upbringing and genetics in some kind of way but I mean I see myself as a spitting image of my mother now more ways than not I think you're different from your mother. I think I, think I been, am, but but I think you're but better. I think there's been a, you you gave think, more love to your children than your mum did, and so there has been an improvement in that cycle. But the similarities are extraordinary. Well, there are similar. I mean, well, I often feel like I'm. I have this sort of strange thing where most men I know are worried about like being like their father. You're worried well, I'm worried about being, about being like mother. my mother, and yes. I think there are lots of times where I'm like. You know, I'm being just like my mother at this moment in time, and that sort of makes me feel closer to you in a way because I'm like, well, yeah, I, what what she is is in me, and you know, it feels like you can it, at those moments. It almost feels like you can go back down the generations. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that you can see the connections between you and them rather than them and you. So and, my I mother is like me. I can't is another decide way of in saying the next it. generation up because I only knew, knew my nana when. She was quite old, or I only remember when she was quite old. I don't remember her. I mean, I think corporal punishment would have been a way of life. So whether or not she had temper with that, I don't, you don't know, do you? No, that's true. Um, because it was altogether sanctioned. 
Yes. And in a funny kind of way, it was sanctioned at the beginning of my social work career. But then it was less and less sanctioned and now kind of like off off, off the scale. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But then you've got all these generations who've been brought up with corporal punishment in boarding school situations. So the cycle has to have been broken there for some people. So actually with some, some people, it's more difficult to break the cycle. And I think that's why governments with so many sort of Tory people around are so loath to make it the law. Because they know that their upbringing makes it totally impossible for them not to hit a child. Yeah, so what What do you mean? What do, what do well, because that was the way everyone did. Yes. And particularly in boarding schools. Well, yeah, Particularly boys' boarding. It was a generational, a generation of, of violence to children, yeah. And, they, and that generation has not died off. And until we get that... But then so many people who have been brought up with that don't exhibit that in, their, in the way they behave. Like... Well, I don't know. You see, if you look at Mervyn, which we shouldn't be talking about on this... Yeah. I was, uh, yeah, I was thinking that. But if you look at some people, I mean, he he was brought up with um, violence. But um, it didn't come out in it, but he suppressed it. And actual suppressed anger is... Well, actually, he was... For me, <coughs> it, it's almost one stage worse. Well, I, well Because it, it, the he... emotional um, damage of suppressed anger... Well, it's almost worse than being hit. I guess so. That is true. I do think that is in some ways true. I think that well, well, Mervin. Right. Well, my stepdad did uh, did hit me though when I was a kid. So mm. he it so wasn't. It, came com- out. it did come out, and he's apologised to me about that. Yeah, but 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 um, you see, and he felt very he, bad about it. Well, exactly because but he it didn't come out in he, the, he would never do that. Indeed, but it ne- didn't come out in the same way in him that it came out in his uh, father. So he was a he is less. Oh yeah, he, the, the cycle genera- was improves. Genera- you know, but of course it's still there because. It, it's learnt behaviour, and that's awfully sad. And, I mean, that is, is very, very true of, you know, abused children. Yeah. I mean, the sad thing about it is they very often come out and become abusers themselves. But, I mean, I think the important thing is to see everybody as a human being and see the reasons that they are like that. But, I mean, e- even at that level, they may be, be better than their parents. Yes. <laughs> but, like... It but that's help good them. because then their children will be better well, than their parents, well, hopefully. and hopefully that will flow down. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, because I mean, I wrote a, as you know, I wrote a play when I was about seventeen about the family. Yeah. Um, where I, I think that was my first stage of trying to deal with everything. Yeah. I think when I was eight, seventeen, eighteen, I tried to deal with everything then. And then I thought I'd solved everything. And now when I'm nearly 30, I'm like, oh, shit, actually, I've got to deal with it all again because now I'm an adult. I look back at it and I'm seeing the adults in those situations rather than everything from a child's point of view. But when I was 17, I did write that play, Blood of the Lamb, and tried to get into the head of you and Mervyn and uh, everybody and tried to... um, 
try to give try to address the reasons so i mean i you know i put put stuff in there about that you told me like for example about you having a fossil collection <laughs> that you had in a tree and the, the wind blowing it down and it nearly hitting gran and gran accusing you of trying to kill her mm. uh deliberately which is a um but then and and I put that sort of stuff in, and I could see how that kind of really connected to stuff like, um, like when I um, opened the wrong present at Christmas, and you said I'd ruined Christmas, right? That being a kind of a, a similar part of the same cycle, that thing of a disappointment or a shock, and then it being. The, the kid being given a motivation that they didn't have, like, it, like you know, mm. I, there'd be no mm. intention of me to ruin Christmas, mm. Mm. Um, and there'd be no intention of you to have those fossils fall on, on, mm. on your mum's head. But my mother was right. <laughs> it's a I funny did story. Nearly kill her. Well, yeah, it is accurate. Yeah. And I, I, knew, I mean, well, you were I, right. I did, I did ruin Christmas, <laughs> and there was no intention in, in either of those situations. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, from my point of view, I mean, it, it was just, it, it was that your sister had met, you know, spent lots of time lovingly choosing that chocolate bar. Yeah, I know. And wrapping it up for Mervyn. And, 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 and everything was so tense at that particular time. Yeah. I, I was just thinking it would be so nice for her to be happy with her father for yeah. five minutes. I know, I know. And it, it all came out wrong, as you quite rightly say. But kind of like, it was just something just snapped. The, the problem we're talking about. Yeah. And instead of behaving rationally, which you know, one would always hope one does, you know, instead of saying, you know, you misread it, which you obviously had. Yeah. You know, you'd read it right. And, and it thought, would have been, I want some chocolate. I want it. Cause, and, and, you know. But, you know, well, either my, of which could have been right. My friend thinks that, you know, how can I be sure that I wasn't deliberately trying to... <laughs> he thinks it might be a false memory and that I was probably being <laughs> and greedy. you were trying to... But I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced by that because I, I remember it so like much. I think you were like that. Yeah, I, that's right. I don't think I was like that. I, I, I think you've almost got a bit of your dad in you. In you because your dad... I think I've probably got a lot of my dad you, in me. You used to, he, he, I know that he um, he wrote something on somebody's white leather jacket as a joke. Now, this white leather jacket cost the earth. And, you know, most of us, seeing it happen, knew you just don't write any kind of joke on the back of someone's most expensive piece of... Um, uh, clothing ever well this is interesting talking about but he had no idea that he was doing that see this is interesting talking about generations the other day <laughs> and I thought, oh, boy. the other day on a stag night when i was very drunk i uh, well a few weeks ago i thought it was funny to pour a bit of coca-cola down the front of someone's whiter than white t-shirt in a pub because because it was just so white and i just thought it's, it's kind of Almost, I, th I felt it was a, and it's stupid, and it was a drunk way of thinking, and I don't, I don't stand by it. But I was like, it's just, it's like a bubble that needs to be popped. It's so white. It's been meticulous. It's so meticulous. This guy is dressed, and he, and you know, he's got a six pack and all the stuff that I'm jealous of as well. So I just thought, I'll pop that bubble. It'll be hilarious. 
It wasn't hilarious. No, no, no. It, it caused nearly, you know, there was there was nearly a fight. I got barred from the pub because <laughs> as a result, as a response to this, I, I tried to tip the coke over my own head to sort of say, "Look, I can tip it over my own head. Don't, don't, don't. Let's make a big thing of it." But but I couldn't see very well, so I threw it over everybody in the pub, and I got barred. And it was also because he, he, he went to punch me, but he didn't want to punch me reasonably. And he grabbed my glasses and ran off with them. So I had a panic attack because I was like, I can't see. I'm drunk in the middle of London. I don't know what's happening. Um, yes. So, yeah, there is a lot of dad in me as well. Mm. Uh, that's very true. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, the, the thing, <laughs> I mean, it was interesting, though, the experience of writing that, that play. I think I would advise any child who's had a, who's that way inclined, who's having a tough time with their family, but their family loves them. Because I think that's the significant thing about our family. We may have had problems, but we loved each other, right? Mm. So we shout at each other, but we never turned our backs on each other completely. Yeah, yeah, and so when I wrote that play and gave that to you and to my stepdad, Mervyn, and... My, and dad, who also feels very guilty because he didn't kind of step in and get involved in stuff that was happening at that time. But everybody saw it. Everybody suddenly become aware of it. Because I hadn't told you or dad about being hit, I don't think. Mm. Um, so neither of you were in a position where you could do anything about that. And I know both of you have said to me that you would have done something about it if you'd have known. And it's interesting to me that I didn't tell you because I'm quite an open and honest person and I don't know why I didn't tell you about that thing. Um, but... You know, it was an interesting experience giving it to people when I was nearly an adult and having them read it and having them then have to react to it. And I remember, like, Mervyn apologised to me about those years and that was a very important thing and that's how we can be friends now. Mm. Um, and I can see, like, like you say, he has lots of reasons for mm. becoming mm. the person that he became mm. and it's a very hard thing for you to comment on because, you know... I've got issues. Yeah, you both had issues and that's why things didn't work out um but you're all you know everybody's a, a person and they're a, they've got reasons for it yeah. and when he apologized to me that sort of confirmed that suspicion that he could see where I was coming from that he could see and he said you know it was a hard time and he he gave the reasons too and because I think you have to excuse me and I remember giving giving the play to you and you being very upset by it and I felt very bad that you felt upset by it but you uh, you know, you didn't shout at me about it. You didn't tell me off about it. You read it. You took it on board. And for me, this it was a very kind of important therapeutic thing. I mean, I thought it was going to solve all my problems, but at the age of 30, I can reveal that it didn't. Um. No. <laughs> No, I like, well, unfortunately, I can tell you that for a start, because I, as I say, having looked at the same kind of difficulties, I've tried to solve the problem every which way. I mean, I, I suppose I, I haven't gone into long-term therapy. I mean, that, that thought had, had crossed my mind at one stage. I don't think I'd get on with therapy, though. I hate authority no. too much. That's why I'm doing this show. It's the closest to therapy I can get. I've, I've, done, I've done short-term sort of counselling sessions and with some very good people. I've done some short-term counselling with some rubbish people. So, I mean, it does depend who you do it with. Who you get, yeah. How, how much it... Shop around, yeah. It kind of moves you forward or, or otherwise. 
Um, but at the end of the day, I think I use my art as therapy, really. That's interesting you say that. I mean, I think, you know, that's what I'm doing now, you know. Yeah. This is what this very conversation is art as therapy. And, uh, and you know, in, in all of my books, I think the things I've been concerned with have been very far removed, but still things that have, you know, been trying to deal with these issues. Mm. I mean, when I talk about... I mean, one of the main things that I try to do with the art that I make is to to tell this story that everybody, no matter how flawed, no matter how apparently bad they might look from the outside, is a person and is a human being. And I try to sort of bring out that kind of empathy factor, even, you know, even at the same time as politically wanting to condemn the Tory government, they're all human beings with upbringings and reasons for being who they are, you know. Even with wanting to condemn a, a serial killer, that's a person who's got reasons for being who they are. They might be a psychopath, they might have something wrong in their mind that won't allow them to feel morality. That's that's something that we should sympathise with. They're missing out on some stuff. Do you know what I mean? It, like, no matter how bad the person is, they're still a human being. But at the same time, balancing that with the idea that we have to take some personal responsibility, yeah. and if we don't want the po- if we don't want the politicians that we've got, we need to change them, and if we don't want a bad society, we need to try and address these issues in all of us as a society, and find ways that we can live together without causing each other harm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of what our family life has kind of been a kind of continual experiment in. I think finding ways that we can live together without causing each other harm. Mm. And I think we've achieved it at times and it's you know, it's it's an ongoing process and it's Yeah. yeah. But I mean it's you know, it's it's good. And I'll tell you something that you can say generationally is different here. That you couldn't sit down with your mother and have this conversation with her. No, I wouldn't get past three Three lines, I don't think. And we can have this conversation, yeah. and that's not just because I've brought it up and said, let's have a conversation. No. It's also because you are open to that. Yeah. That unlike your mother, you are open to that. Well, I suppose my mother, bless her, lived a lie, really. When we're saying what is true. I mean, she persuaded herself her life was true. But it actually was a whole fiction. And where do you go at your end of your life? I mean, I've always tried tried to look for truth. I'm not sure I ever find it. Because I'm always finding parts of myself that don't fit in with what I remember or what I think yeah. actually happened. God, memory's so whatever. hard, yeah. And, and I'm thinking, well... No, I missed that. I missed that. So you're constantly looking for what the truth of today is, and it's always changing because more of your behaviour is explained in other ways than the way you saw it. Uh, So truth is constantly changing. But my mother actually made her life out of a story, I I suspect, of what being an upper-class woman be yeah and, and so you actually can't break into this because I can't play her play her her story no 
Well, that's what I meant. I mean, coming full because, circle. You know, it, 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 it's kind of frightening. Well, and that's what I meant, coming full circle, in that moment when she talked about being young and being a nurse. And Before suddenly. She told us our story. Exactly. Suddenly, there's the truth. There's somebody. I can see someone in this old lady. Mm. I can see a young woman. Yes. And I can see that I would have liked, and, and very occasionally, yeah, I can I've see someone I would have liked. Yes. I, very, very occasionally, I've seen that in my mother, and it's just brief, and it goes, and you think, that's it. That's who I would have liked to have seen. Yeah. No, I mean that's it. And yeah. And fantastic. I think on that that note. Um, it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you for the third time. Um, yeah, lots. I think a lot for me to think about going away from this conversation, but uh, it was. It turned out even better than I'd uh, hoped, and certainly nowhere near as bad as I feared. Uh, thanks very much. Oh, thank you. Um, and. Um, do you, do you want to say goodbye for the third time and last time to the audience? Well, indeed, yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> so, as I said earlier on, the conversation in the middle of this episode was recorded at a stand-up tragedy night. It was inspired by the conversation you've just heard, but also by a journey to see my grand that me and my mum went on after this conversation is over. And on Friday, I'm going to release a Getting Better Acquainted Extra. And that is me recording an epiphany that I had that same weekend. So kind of narrative-wise, it goes, I saw uh, my sister and some of her friends and uh, held a very, very, very young, like a couple of days old baby in my arms. And then I recorded two conversations, one with my friend Jess and one with my friend Dan. And I did all of that. And then on the Sunday, I went to my mum's house. I think she picked me up. We recorded three conversations. In the middle of the last conversation, which you've just heard, we had lunch. Then we went to visit my gran. Then I came back and got on a bus to go back to London from the city of Bristol and I recorded how I was feeling and what I was thinking about. And that is what I'm going to share with you, maybe with some other bits and bobs that I recorded at Bristol that weekend, maybe not. That's what I'm going to share with you on Friday, so I hope that you enjoy that. The Wednesday after that, it's going to be with Sue, who is a family friend. She's kind of best friends with my mother, and she's good friends with my dad, and she was good friends with my dad's first wife Sheila and so she managed to stay friends with all three people in that kind of relationship triangle I guess because my my dad left Sheila for my mum I thought that that was just the perfect way to cap off this family season that's featured Sheila and has featured my dad and has featured my mum Sue who kind of combines all of those people together as I guess do I after that we're going to have two episodes the next week which are going to be of people who I've had at Stand Up Tragedy because we're going to be going into our Edinburgh season to come along and see Stand Up Tragedy out there in Edinburgh. We're there the 3rd to the 14th of August and we're on at the Fiddler's Elbow at 6.30 till 7.30 and I hope you enjoy the 
episodes that I'm going to be editing and releasing from Edinburgh this August. It's going to be a very intense experience for me of like putting together specials very quickly and getting them out to you while the festival is still on uh, and conversations and who knows because I don't know exactly what's going to happen to me yet because I'm not there yet but we're going to have in the run-up to that two episodes with very different people who've performed at Stand Up Tragedy. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook it's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app that you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.